0: Holy Spirit, we know that it is only by your power that we live, it is only by your grace that we are reborn as children of our Heavenly Father. It is only by your daily strength that we move and have our being. Mm -hmm. So we pray, Holy Spirit, for you to fill this place today, this morning. Teach us the word of life that can save us, transform us from within into the likeness of Jesus. We pray for power this morning. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. One of my favorite family traditions at Christmas time is that we do a jigsaw puzzle together as a family every year. And uh, the Christmas before last, I thought we'd take on a new challenge and do a 3,000 piece puzzle for the first time. Uh, it was a picture of safari animals. Um, And it turned out to be a little bit overly ambitious. Um, Everyone but me gave up on it on the first day. (laughs) And so having bought this puzzle, I doggedly persevered with it by myself for nearly two weeks. Um, And then on the last day of our Christmas vacation, I was still a couple of hundred grey elephant pieces from finishing this. So I finally had to admit defeat. But seeing my dejectedness, the rest of the family jumped in and, uh, and finished it off. Um, except that there was one piece missing. No! Yes, Right in the middle of the elephant's forehead, there was a missing piece after all this hard work. But other than the missing piece, the puzzle itself was actually quite beautiful. So Sarah's sister decided that she wanted to seal it and frame it. Um, so she called up the puzzle company and explained that there was a missing piece, and they sent her a whole new puzzle of oh. three. <laughs> and so she weeded through all three of oh. pieces until she found the last piece of the elephant's forehead. And now the puzzle is finished, and it's hanging on my nephew's wall, and it looks great. But I can tell you that doing a 3,000-piece jigsaw puzzle is not an experience I ever want to <laughs> By the end, I was exhausted and wondering what happened to my Christmas vacation. <laughs> a few weeks after that, we were reading the story of Pentecost with our children, and we read the part about baptizing 3,000 people. And little Benjamin piped up and said, Wow! That's as many people as the pieces in Daddy's jigsaw! <laughs> And that gave me a whole new appreciation for Pentecost. <laughs> Pentecost is sometimes called the birthday of the church, as Sarah said. So after Jesus died and rose again, he ascended to heaven. And then about a week after he ascended, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. And they preached the gospel in many different languages. 3,000 people believed in Jesus that day, and the church was born. So today's a big day for birthdays. Ruth Day turns three today. My son Benjamin turns nine today. And the church turns 1,983. (laughs) I know, it doesn't look a day over 1,900. (laughs) Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit came to all the people of God. So this morning we're going to think about three questions. Why did the Holy Spirit come? Who did he come to and what does he do? So we've set a minor task this morning those are two questions. First, why did the Holy Spirit come? Well, there's lots of ways we could answer that question. But what I want to do is to go back and talk about the Old Testament and go back to what was probably the greatest day in the history of Israel until Jesus came. The greatest day in the Old Testament. And that's the day that the glory of God came to Solomon's temple the part we read in 2 Chronicles. So the people had finally arrived in the Promised Land after 40 years of wandering, and they'd settled there, and they'd made their homes there, and they finally had peace on every side. And they had a wise and God-fearing king, King Solomon. And he brought the nation unprecedented wealth and prosperity And the people of Israel had just completed a seven-year building project on their temple. It was a permanent home for God to dwell in with his people on earth. And the temple was a wonder, a wonder of cedar and gold. It was certainly the most magnificent building that any of those people had ever seen. But as King Solomon stood up to dedicate the temple, he was aware of how inadequate it was for the God of heaven. So look at 2 Chronicles 6, verse 18 that we read this morning. And as Solomon stands up to dedicate his temple, his first words are, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven, and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have, The temple was inadequate, but nevertheless, God did indeed come to dwell there with man on earth, in the very building that Solomon had built. So the beginning of 2 Chronicles 7 records, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What a truly amazing thing. If we could build a time machine and go back in time to witness the key moments of history, then this moment would definitely make my top ten list. The day that God came to live on earth among his people in a temple built by human hands. Now, there were lots of stages in the process of getting that temple ready for God. There was the day when they first broke ground And the day seven years later when they hung the golden doors. And then there was the day when they moved in the Ark of the Covenant. And the day when they offered the sacrifices that consecrated the temple and made it pure. But surely the most important day of all was the day that God moved in. Everything that came before was merely preparation. Because when God moved in, it became a temple. Before that, it was just a big glittery building. Now, moving forward into the New Testament, God comes to dwell on earth in a different way. First, he comes in person. Jesus was born into the world. But then, on the day of Pentecost, God comes to live on earth within his people. So that's what we mean when we talk about the Holy Spirit living within us. We mean, just like 2 Chronicles 6, that the glory of God... Descends from heaven to fill our own bodies, just like he filled Solomon's temple. That's what Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So in the Old Testament, God lived on earth in the temple, a physical building. But in the New Testament, God lives on earth in the church within his people. So when I say the word church, I'm not talking about a building or even about a denomination. When the New Testament says church, it's a collective term for all the children of God. It means the people, right? (laughs) So the church is not literally a building, but the New Testament does sometimes compare the church to a spiritual building with God's people as living stones, And when we think about the church that way, we can see that it went through the same stages of preparation that the temple did. So first, it was built. Just as as the temple was built by Solomon and the Israelites, Jesus built his church as he gathered his disciples around him and taught them the truth. Then, it was consecrated with a sacrifice. The church was consecrated by Jesus' own sacrifice of himself on the cross. And then, finally, God moved in. He came with fire. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. So I said before that the temple really became the temple on the day that God moved in. And following the same logic, it was on the day of Pentecost that the church really became the church because the Spirit moved in. So today (coughs) is the church's birthday. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, the physical temple became redundant. It had no purpose anymore because God was now dwelling in his people, and God would never live in the physical temple again. The temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70, and we have no reason to think that it will ever be rebuilt. It doesn't have a function anymore. Because the church, the spiritual building, has now replaced the temple, the physical building. Now as I say this, I'm aware that I need to be careful to avoid uh, some wrong thinking that's called replacement theology. So I'll be careful to avoid that here. And replacement theology is the idea that Christianity has replaced Judaism. So replacement theology says that God got fed up with the Jews uh, and gave up on them And then he called a new people to be his people instead, and they were called Christians, all right? And that is wrong. That is flat wrong. It was always God's plan for his chosen people, the children of Israel, that they would outgrow their physical temple, that their Messiah would come and make the people themselves a new spiritual temple for God. So the plan was to replace the temple, but not to replace the people. When Jesus built his church... All of the first stones were Jewish people, and it was only later that Gentile stones were included too. Mm -hmm. So it was a room full of Jewish men and women that received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And then they went outside and they preached the gospel of Jesus to people who gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish feast of first fruits. And so the first 3,000 people who were baptized into church that day, who were the real first fruits of the kingdom of God, were mostly, if not all, Jewish And those men and women became, on that day, the new temple of God, the spiritual temple, the church. The new place where the living God, who made the universe, dwelled with his people on earth. So Pentecost was a truly magnificent event. When you think about what was really happening there, it was an even more amazing day than the day that the glory of God filled Solomon's temple. So that would have to go even higher on my top 10 time machine list. (laughs) So second, why did the Holy... Oh, sorry, first, why did the Holy Spirit come? He came to inhabit God's new home on earth, to move in to the new spiritual temple that Jesus had built. And second, who did the Holy Spirit come to? Well, when Peter stood up to preach on the First Pentecost, he made it clear that what the people were witnessing was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2. So Peter quotes Joel 2 at length and says, In these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So in the past, the Holy Spirit had been given to people, but only to a small number of people, usually just the leaders, like kings and prophets, and not to the ordinary people. But on Pentecost, Peter said, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh without distinction. Everyone who turns to Jesus for forgiveness. And both Peter and Joel are explicit that that means both men, And women, both adults and children, and both masters and servants. And so even a little servant girl gets to share in this great honor. She gets to have the God of heaven come to make his home in her. And no greater thing can be said of anyone. So in this way, the Holy Spirit democratizes the church. Each believer gets direct access to their Father in Heaven through the Holy Spirit. Each believer gets to know God personally, to understand the Bible for him or herself, and to know that his or her own prayers are heard and answered, and that he or she has a place and a role in God's kingdom. So none of God's children can be said to be better than any other, or more honored than any other. We all share in this highest of all privileges, to have the God of heaven living within us. So the Holy Spirit democratizes the church. Back in England when I was a teenager, I worked for a year for an engineering company at London, and there weren't very many Christians in the company. And I remember this one intern from Kenya, who always seemed very friendly and greeted me warmly, And one day, we were both standing by the copier waiting for our printouts to come out, and he asked me, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And then he asked me, are you spirit-filled? And I said, there isn't any other kind. (laughs) (laughs) And he laughed hard, and we became friends after that. (laughs) If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. That's what Paul says all through his letter to the Romans. And so you should expect the Holy Spirit to be doing the things he does in you. And as we relate to each other, we should be honoring one another as people who are led and guided by the same Holy Spirit, from the greatest among us to the least. One of the core parts of our vision at Incarnation is that we are a multi-generational church. And it comes from this message of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is given to every member. So every member, from our very youngest to our oldest, is a gift of God to this congregation. Mm -hmm. And we need each other. Mm God taught us on Pentecost the innate value of every human person. Because if the Holy Spirit can come to anyone, and God is happy to make his home in anyone who repents and believes in Jesus, then the differences between us vanish to nothing. How can we say that a rich man is better than a poor man if the Holy Spirit will live in either? Or an adult better than a child? Or a man better than a woman? Or one ethnicity better than another? And so Pentecost leads us back to the conclusion that Thomas Jefferson found self-evident that all men are created equal. But here's the thing, it's really not self-evident. God had to teach that to us, and it took centuries. No culture on earth believed or practiced human equality before the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost. None. Not one. They were all happy to trade slaves as property. Their customs and laws favored men over women, adults over children, and native-born over foreigners. There was no human equality to be found anywhere on Earth. Mm -hmm. And even today, most of the world's philosophies and religions do not teach that all men are created equal. There's no equality in traditional Islam. Men are favored over women and children. There's no equality in Hinduism. There's the caste system. And there's no equality in atheistic Darwinism. The weak are food for the strong. The equality of all people under God is taught in the Bible and nowhere else. No one has ever said it who didn't get it from the Bible. And it has not been self evident to anyone whose culture was not strongly shaped by biblical religion. About two weeks ago, I heard yet another person claim that the world would be a better place without religion. Well, to that we can at least say that without biblical religion, no society on earth would believe in human equality. Poor children would not go to school anywhere. Poor women would not find justice anywhere. And chauvinism and racism would be the accepted norms of every culture on earth the humanists would be wise to ponder just how much of their own humanism they would lose if they could ever succeed in their dream of expunging Christianity from the earth. And for we who are Christians, we need to know that we are the last line of defense for the weak and marginalized in our communities. There's no other religion or philosophy that has any substantive reason to care for every human being. We believe and practice the only one. So if we will not stand up to defend the lives of the unborn or the victims of injustice or those oppressed by racial prejudice, we cannot expect that anyone else will. Mm -hmm. This is the call of God that comes with the privilege of Pentecost, of receiving God's Spirit to live within us. But before we either collapse under the overwhelming task or leap up to tackle it in our own strength, we need to ask the third question which is, what does the Holy Spirit do? And the answer is that he does a lot, basically everything. (laughs) There are things that he does for us, things he does in us, and things that he does through us. So some things the Holy Spirit does for us without our really noticing. So he gives us new birth into the family of God, and he plants in us the gift of faith. Those things are from the Spirit. Then he constantly prays for us to the Father with groans that words cannot express. He's doing that right now, even though we don't hear then the Holy Spirit gets to work in us. This is the part of his ministry that Jesus focused on in John chapter 16 that we read this morning. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and that he would teach us and guide us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. And I think this is the clearest sign to us that he's at work in our hearts if we're conscious of our own sin day by day. If you're aware of your sin and convicted to repent and ask God for forgiveness, then that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Mm -hmm. And if you go day by day not really being aware of your need for forgiveness, then that is a great cause for spiritual concern because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit also teaches us righteousness He can transform every person he lives in because of the Spirit's divine creative power. People can really change, whatever Disney might say. (laughs) It's also by the Spirit's power that we're able to understand the Bible, to find the Bible to be God's living word as we read it, and to see how our lives need to change as a result of it. All these things are the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you might be familiar with all these things without really knowing that they were the work of the Holy Spirit. He tends to keep his own identity quiet and spend his time pointing to the Father and Son. So just like people who lived before (laughs) Isaac Newton couldn't have explained gravity to anyone, but they could still catch a ball, you might have lived your life experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit without really knowing that it was him that was doing it but it was. So this morning, be encouraged that if these things are going on in your life, then they show that the Holy Spirit is at work in you and that you're a precious child of God. Finally, the Holy Spirit works through us. He comes to live in every Christian not just for the good of that person, but also for the good of the church and then more broadly for the good of the whole world. So the Spirit does the church good by giving gifts to God's people. And this is the aspect of his work that Joel focused on in his prophecy. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians that all these gifts, and many others, are for the building up of the church. That's the reason they're given. They strengthen the people of God to do the work of God. So you might know that Sarah and I have just bought a house, and uh, earlier this week I was over there uh, working on it. I was cutting down some tree branches in the backyard while um, there were some AC guys in working in the attic um, to fix our AC in there. And while I was cutting down branches, one of the workmen came out to get something from his truck, and he saw what I was doing. And uh, he said with some surprise and amusement, you doing that with a handsaw? Impression. And he went over and pulled out of his truck uh, um, an electric saw, and uh, he came over and he finished the job I was doing in less than two minutes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives us power tools,
1: <laughs>
0: so that we don't have to waste time doing the work in our own strength. That encounter with the AC guy made me wonder how many times God has looked at me from heaven and said, You doing that with a handsaw?" <laughs> let's not waste time trying to serve God in our own strength when he's given us a shed full of power tools. But at the same time, let's remember that we don't all have the same tools. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to people as he sees fit. I have not been able to discern any rhyme or reason to it. It's as the Spirit chooses, and no one gets all the gifts. That's why we're together, that's why we need each other. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the work that the Holy Spirit does for us and in us, it tends to follow very similar patterns for every Christian. So we can lay down some principles that helps you know whether the Spirit's working you. But when it comes to the work that the Holy Spirit does through us, it's different for each of us. We can be filled with the Spirit at different times, for different reasons, and with completely different experiences. So just because you don't speak in tongues doesn't mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit. Let's be careful not to judge each other for the way the Spirit uses us, or to be envious of another person's gifts. If you want to have a specific gift, you can pray for it. It's okay to ask. Jesus encouraged that. Today, on Pentecost Sunday, Taylor and I want to open up a new opportunity in our service for us to bless each other with our spiritual gifts. So after he's finished distributing communion, Taylor's gonna stand somewhere at the front here while the music team finishes the communion music. And if you have a prophecy or a word of knowledge or a tongue or an interpretation that you'd like to share for the good of the body, for the strengthening of the church, then you can come forward and tell it to Taylor. And Taylor will discern what to do with it. He'll either share it right away, or ask you to share it, or maybe he'll decide we should wait on that. If it's a tongue, we'll probably only decide to share it if we have an interpretation. And that way we can follow the pattern of good order that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, but still make an opportunity to bless each other with our spiritual gifts. So if the Lord nudges you to come forward after communion and share something, please listen to the Spirit on this day of all days, and don't be shy. The Holy Spirit works through us for the good of the church. And then he works through us more broadly for the good of the whole world, and I'll close with this. This morning I began by talking about the day that the glory of God filled Solomon's temple And when you read through that account in 2 Chronicles, one thing stands out very strongly, and even surprisingly, and that is how important the temple was as the place of forgiveness. It's all through Solomon's prayer for his temple. This kind of sin, this kind of sin, this kind of sin, when they pray, facing the temple, when you hear their prayer, forgive. So we can see it in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 21. Listen from your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. As the new temple on earth, the main way the church can bless the world is by being the place where forgiveness happens. Not in our very buildings, but through us as the Spirit uh, lives in us. We ourselves are the guardians of the only word that brings life, the only power to save, the only message of hope and forgiveness to a lost world. So as you leave this place and go back to your other friends and neighbors and the people at work, remember that you carry with you the spirit of the living God whose heart is to forgive sin and to be reconciled to the people that he made. So look for opportunities to express his mercy with the people you meet. If a friend hurts you, forgive them. If a report is late at work, be gracious with the person who is late. Show understanding for people's weakness and failure, and pray that the Holy Spirit would open a door for you also to extend to them God's greater forgiveness through the sacrifice of his Son, Jesus, who died for them. This morning, if you came here hungry, don't leave empty. If you don't think that you know God's forgiveness, then this can be the place of forgiveness for you this morning. If you don't think you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then today would be a great day to fix that, for you to receive him. If you're hungry for a deeper experience of God or for a certain spiritual gift that you don't have, today would be a great day for you to ask for that. And for all these needs... We have prayer teams that are going to be available at the back of the church during communion. We're going to have a couple of teams, and I've also prepped more people. If there's a line, we'll get some more prayer people up here. We have a good number of people in this church who have strong gifts of faith and are experienced in praying for people. So please make use of them, and may the Lord God equip you with everything good for doing His will. Amen. Amen.